meets the valley, valley meets the rain. Rain meets the river, river meets the valley, valley meets the rain. Rain meets the river, river meets the valley, valley meets the rain. Rain meets the river, river meets the valley, valley meets the rain, live on in the valley. Welcome to the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. My name is Jason Sacco and I'm your host. As a 35 plus year spondy, I'm looking to use this show to bring the spondy community closer. I'll give my lifelong battle with AS to you. That includes triumphs, tragedies, and lessons. So sit back, enjoy, and know you are not alone. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. I wanted to take a minute, as in previous episodes, to just thank you all. It is fantastic getting to see where the episodes are being downloaded at, and as well as interacting with the folks who I get messages from. So thank you for those messages. I really, really appreciate hearing any feedback on the shows that y'all have to give. The downloads keep coming in from all sorts of amazing places. We're up to almost 30 countries with recently Spain, the Philippines, Myanmar, Greece, Egypt, and China. Somebody from all those different countries has accessed the show. So it's really fantastic to watch as the, the, the community just keeps growing. And that's really what I want to do is use these podcasts to just bring everybody together. We all have this disease that makes us gives us similar experiences. So I'm just really glad to see it grow. So on to question of the week. One of the things that I saw online talked about leg neuropathy after a hip surgery. Did a little bit of digging. Why this question was of interest to me was that I personally, after my left hip replacement, my last one, I've had three of them, but after my last one, I experienced really bad neuropathy to the point where I now have what is called a drop foot. So I can no longer on my own lift my left foot. I have to walk with a brace to keep it level so that I don't trip over it. So it's of interest. And I did some digging. We all may not know this, but when you have a total hip replacement, there is a fairly high likelihood of having some form of neuropathy. It could be usually short term. It's usually been attributed in the past to the way you were positioned during the hip surgery and the way the anesthesiologist or the orthopedic surgeon was working on you to create hopefully only short term neuropathy. They're finding that in some cases with patients like me, the neuropathy stays. I now have uh, no feeling from, oh, it's easy to say about my knee down with my foot being completely numb. There's there's just nothing there. I do feel things. It's what I call phantom nerve pain. That's probably not the correct term. It a lot of times feels like my foot is really, really swollen, like the size of a watermelon, or that I get these sharp shooting pains, which are just nerves firing off, I guess. I, I really wouldn't know any particular medical terms to them. So if you're going to have hip surgery, make sure you talk about this with your doctor and discuss with him or her some of the options and some of the treatments that you may need after the surgery. Surgeons are well aware of this. It's a thing that they watch for. And so just be aware of it as you go into it. I wasn't. Honestly, on my surgeries, that was the thing that never crossed my mind was that there could be any type of neuropathy. And now as I look at potentially having work done on my right hip, I'm very concerned if what happens to my left hip happens to my right hip and I end up with neuropathy on my right side as well, I'll basically be confined to a wheelchair. So anyway, that is what I bring to it on leg neuropathy. I saw that question out there and it was kind of interesting. So just make sure that your doctor is aware of it. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about in today's episode, 
and I have not seen a lot of this discussed, is kind of, you know, just a history of ankylosing spondylitis. What do we know about it? Well, there had been some research done years ago. They thought that maybe ankylosing spondylitis was found in Egyptian mummies. Uh, It's been kind of disputed now, and there was some fusion of the vertebrae. They've just kind of left it as that and not attributed to any type of specific spondylarthritis or osteoarthritis or anything like that. They've just kind of left it that there is something there in some of those mummies. You don't hear much talk about it till again, you jump forward to the 2nd century AD, and you had this Roman physician Galen. Galen was a physician and a philosopher back in the 2nd century AD, and he was well known for having treated many conditions that Romans encountered, but he was also the first to distinguish a condition that kind of resembled a bamboo spine, arthritic conditions of ankylosing spondylitis versus other type of, say, osteoarthritis. So that was really the first well-known person. And you may not know the name Galen specifically, but if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, the person that Joaquin Phoenix played was called Commodus. Well, Galen was the private physician slash surgeon to Commodus through that tumultuous time in Roman history. So kind of ties that in and gives you a little perspective as to when Galen lived. And his work was so dynamic and it didn't really change for 1300 years. Not until we fast forward to a surgeon in the mid-1550s named Rialdo Colombo. Rialdo was an interesting character. He, he only lived to age 43, and he wrote a series of books. He tried to work very hard to disprove everything that Galen had taught and had stood kind of in the medical community for 1,300 years. He was of Italian descent and spent his career, like I said, trying to disprove everything that Galen had talked about. He studied medicine and anatomy, and he was known for doing a lot of dissections of men's cadavers to see what was going on inside. And then he wrote a series of books. His first book described bones. His second book and book three respectively outlined cartilages and ligaments that can be found within the human body. And then book four explained the skeleton as a whole, bringing together what he had described in the first three books. And this is where some of the work came in where he talked about different arthritic conditions these cadavers had. Well, he didn't name it ankylosing spondylitis. The conditions he wrote about in some of his books most likely were discussions of ankylosing spondylitis. It wasn't until about 140 years later that an Irish doctor and philosopher named Bernard Connor published the first account of, you know, any skeletal pathological changes linked with ankylosing spondylitis. Bernard, while he was an Irish physician, spent a lot of time treating the Polish royalty in the late 1690s. And he described a lot of medical conditions that he encountered in treating these aristocrats from the Polish family. And in one of his works, he wrote about these changes he saw in the skeletons of deceased people and how the bamboo spine and the the arched back and, and everything that was related to ankylosing spondylitis. Fast forward about another 125 years to an English doctor named Benjamin Brody. He became the first doctor to document an individual thought to have ankylosing along with iritis. That was big. He put all this together in a number of different works and widely lectured throughout London and throughout the London medical community. His books were, uh, one of them was called The Pathological and Surgical Observations on the Disease of the Joints. This is the really dynamic book, or triste as they called it, that was widely read and dealt with things like ankylosing spondylitis. 
through history, there have been people that have tried to look into this. I thought it was really interesting to look at these different folks. I will have some links to different oh, short Wikipedia stories on them. The actual, some of their works are written in different languages, and there's only brief little snippets that we can garner to read if you don't speak that other language. You can look back and say, you know, they've worked very hard to help get to where we are now in modern times with ankylosing spondylitis and some of the recent advances, things that we know now, like genetics. You know, we know that there might be some microbiome issues in the gut that bring along ankylosing spondylitis and cause it, the different genes that can play a role in it. And now the modern medications like biologics and things that are used to help treat this. Having this disease, I can't imagine what it would be like in the 15, 1600s to have this disease, the pain must have been just immense. There are some other doctors that, that worked on talking about these conditions in the past that kind of got wrapped up in that same period during the Benjamin Brody time. But, you know, overall, I'm very glad for the work that was done by those individuals that's led to things like the biologic that I'm on that's helped to make my condition as manageable as it can be. So anyway, again, none of this is medical advice. It's just a, an interesting way to look at the history of ankylosing spondylitis. And I hope you all enjoyed this and will do your own research on what took place in the past. Take care and have a great afternoon.